Genesis 47, Genesis chapter 47, page 40 in the Blue Pew Bible. Hear God's holy word. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers uh, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, All the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. 
And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we, with our land, will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, he did not, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and food for yourselves and your, and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers." Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. as we've studied these last few chapters of Genesis, we've seen how God was reuniting this family that had been ripped apart. They were torn apart. And not only did he reunite them, but by his providence and the wonderful way that he was working all those circumstances, he fully reconciled them to each other. Remember, they were, they were really torn apart by a whole host of sins. Favoritism, jealousy, hatred, 
distrust, lies, betrayal. And not to mention the, the physical separation that they, uh, they went through when those brothers sold Joseph uh, into slavery in Egypt. This family was wrecked. Their father didn't trust the remaining brothers any longer. But God's providence has brought about healing. He's brought them back together in a way that really that was better than ever before. These relationships were healed in a way that they probably never would have been healed uh, without all the trials and tribulations that they had to go through. But God was doing more than just healing these family relationships. He's doing something much bigger than that through all this. He was preparing to make this tiny little family into a great nation. And that would be the fulfillment of his old promises to Abraham. And that involved, that was going to involve planting this little family in Egypt. Almost like a seed being planted. They had to be planted there in Egypt where they could grow, where they could survive, and where they could multiply. Of course, we know they're also going to have to suffer there in slavery for some four centuries. And even that, though, in God's providence, that would be a very important part of his plan to bless his people. Here today in chapter 47, we see this family settling in Goshen, in Egypt. And in this first scene, we see them uh, standing before Pharaoh. And here again, we see the goodness of God and his providence. Jacob, or rather, Joseph told Pharaoh that his whole family had arrived in Goshen. And he brought five of his brothers along, representing the family. And he brought them before Pharaoh. And, and just as Joseph expected, uh, Pharaoh asked them what kind of work they do. And uh, they said, we're shepherds, just as our fathers were. And they also asked him to allow them to live in the land of Goshen. Joseph, of course, had told them in advance that Pharaoh would ask them about these things, and he told them how to respond when he did ask them. See, the Egyptians, uh, we're told, despised shepherds. They didn't want to be near them. They didn't want them uh, anywhere around them. And so Joseph hoped that Pharaoh would grant this request and allow his family to settle in Goshen. That would make the Egyptians happy because he wouldn't have to be in the proximity of these uh, shepherds that they despised. But more importantly, Israel, this family and Israel, as they grow into a nation, would, would be kept apart from the uh, bad influence of the Egyptians, the bad spiritual influence, the idolatry. They needed that separation so that they could become rooted and grounded and grow stronger in their, their identity as God's people. 
Now, you might not expect Pharaoh to be inclined to, to grant the request of these despised shepherds, but remember, God is in control here. God is working by his providence, and he was blessing this family, this covenant family. And Pharaoh did show great favor to them. He said, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in Goshen. And if you know any of them who are uh, good with livestock, put them in charge of my livestock. Joseph must have been stunned by this. Not only did Pharaoh grant the request to give them the best of the land, the best grazing land in Egypt, but he also gave them jobs as overseers of the the royal livestock. This was more than he could have imagined. Clearly, God had opened Pharaoh's heart to show favor to this family. Of course, this didn't just come out of nowhere. All this favor that the king of Egypt showered upon Joseph's family was the direct result of Pharaoh's favor toward Joseph. Joseph was like a gem to Pharaoh. Joseph was like uh, his favorite son. It was because of Joseph that Pharaoh poured out all these blessings on his family. It's a beautiful thing to see. And it's the same with us as the family of God. Now, we have a similar situation where the favor of God is poured out on us. And it's all because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. We have God's amazing, undeserved grace and favor lavished upon us only because we are united to God's Son by faith. All the good, amazing, undeserved grace of God, all the good things that we deserve in this life, all the blessings of eternity that we look forward to, all those glorious things that we read about in Revelation 21 in the new heavens and the new earth, we have those things to look forward to only because we belong to Jesus. So I hope you know that, and I hope that you, you understand how critical it is to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. He is your only source of good and salvation and blessing. A person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ has no favor with God. He has no peace with God. If that's you and you're still in that state of being separated from God and separated from Christ, you are in a state of war with God. And even the, the temporal blessings that you enjoy in this life, all the good things of this life that you have, those things will be taken away 
if you don't come in to that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you are in that relationship with him, when you come to him by faith and lay hold of him and trust in him as your savior, then you have God's grace permanently lavished upon you. You have the forgiveness of your sins now and forever. You have eternal life in Christ and every spiritual blessing. And we have that glory of heaven to look forward to forever. We can't even imagine how glorious that will be. But we have all of these blessings only because we're joined to Jesus Christ by faith. We're God's children. We're Jesus' brothers and sisters. We have favor upon favor poured out on us. And God will never take it away. And he heaps all those blessings upon us only because of Jesus. We belong to him by faith. Moving on, then in verses 7 to 10 here, we see this meeting between Jacob and Pharaoh. Jacob, old Jacob, is brought in to meet Pharaoh. And we're told, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How surprising is that? The way blessing works is the, the, the greater person blesses the lesser person. Well, here is Pharaoh, the perhaps the greatest person in the, the ancient world in terms of uh, uh, temporal greatness. He's the great king of Egypt, and he surely uh, was great in his appearance there, probably dressed in the finest apparel, royal attire, and surrounded by his servants and his court officials. And then in comes this feeble old man, who probably couldn't even get there by himself. His son, Joseph, had to help him to even uh, stand before Pharaoh. Who's the greater of these two men? Well, to appearances and to the world, Pharaoh looked far greater. But it was not so. The lesser was blessed by the greater. And Jacob was not great in the eyes of the world. He probably didn't look like much as he stood there. Maybe Pharaoh didn't even sincerely think of him as uh, uh, a very great man. But in God's plans, in God's purposes, Jacob is far greater. And at least this one sense, because God has lavished his grace upon him and he is unfolding his covenant promises to this man and his family. His blessing was upon this man. And so this man was able to bless Pharaoh. And in doing so, uh, Jacob is not just doing a nice thing for Pharaoh. Uh, This is a picture of something much bigger. Jacob blessing Pharaoh is a picture of God's people blessing 
the people of the nations. God's people blessing the nations. Remember, God told Abraham that that was going to happen. He said, your people will be a blessing to the nations, to the world. Pharaoh might have thought, what does this old man think he's doing? Presuming that he would be able to bless me. And that's how the world looks at God's people. That's how the world looks at the church. As if we don't really have anything of value that they would want or that they would need. But if they think that way, they don't see the truth. And that is the reality. The unbeliever is blind to his desperate need for God and his blessing. And you know that that blessing of God only comes to the world through God's people. Today, God's blessing comes to the world through the church, through us as believers, as the church proclaims the good news of the gospel. If you're a Christian, that's how it happened. If you're a Christian, it's because the church has been proclaiming the gospel in the world. And you heard that gospel at some point in your life and believed, and you were saved. And now you're part of that church. You're part of that ongoing work of the blessing of God being given to the nations, to the world. And we do that, of course, by proclaiming Christ, preaching Christ, pointing people to Christ, uh, not only as the corporate church, but as uh, individuals. When we go out and mingle with the people of the world, we point them to the Savior of the world. That is God's plan. His plan is to bring the nations to his son, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and he's doing that. He's doing it through the church, proclaiming the free gift of salvation that is given by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, so this family settled in Goshen. They uh, were provided for by Joseph, we're told. Again, the famine is ongoing, and it's very severe, and so severe that the Egyptians, we have this lengthy explanation of what the Egyptian people had to go through just to survive. They had to take drastic measures to get some food on their tables to be able to eat and live and to supply for their families. Even enduring the loss of their property, even enduring uh, enslavement of themselves and their families. But meanwhile, Jacob's family is well supplied. They have all that they need. Joseph provided for them. And of course, this is God in his kindness 
and mercy, providing for his people through his servant Joseph. And then we see this long, uh, long section detailing uh, that severity of the famine. Look at verse 13. We're told there's no food growing in the land. This is a massive drought. Uh, epic proportions, this drought. Um, and we read uh, uh, in detail of how Joseph saved the people of Egypt. He sold them grain, then when they had no money left, he exchanged grain for their livestock. Then when there's no more livestock left to trade for, uh, he did the same with their lands. Then when uh, the lands were all sold uh, to Pharaoh, the people became slaves in exchange for food and to survive. Why are we told all this, though? There's a lot of um, ink here spilt on these details. For one thing, it shows us how incredibly severe this famine was. It was a terrible, killer famine. It was a very dangerous time for everyone. And yet God provided for this little family of Joseph. They were well-fed. They were amply supplied. It was almost as if they'd climbed into Noah's Ark and survived the flood. It's a very similar picture. They have all they need, and they don't have to suffer like the rest. Don't miss that contrast. The Egyptians suffered so much, they were reduced to servitude. They lost more or less everything except their lives. But Joseph's family had all they needed. They were amply supplied, and they were free and well cared for through the kind providence of God. God taking care of his people. And so Joseph's family was blessed. We're also told Pharaoh was greatly blessed through this all. He became incredibly rich and powerful through all this, all due to Joseph's leadership. If he uh, didn't appreciate Joseph enough before, he certainly did after all this because he pretty much had everything, and it was all due to Joseph's leadership. But the Egyptians as a whole were blessed as well. They were slaves, but they felt blessed to be alive. We see that they were thankful. They were thankful and grateful to Joseph. They seemed to have, it might not be too strong a word to say that they loved Joseph. They looked at him as their savior. They said, you have saved our lives. We will be servants to Pharaoh. They're very grateful. Of course, Joseph would have reminded every one of them that it wasn't him. It was his God they should be grateful to. Well, then we see how this tiny little clan of Israel prospered during this time. Verse 27 says, Israel settled in the land of Goshen 
they gained possessions in it, they were fruitful, they multiplied greatly. Just those things that are said there, don't let that go over your head. This is very significant. These things that are said here are huge. They're thriving. They're gaining ownership of land. They're prospering. That just was not happening anywhere in Egypt at that time. This is the Great Depression times 10. Everyone was losing. Nobody was gaining except God's people because God's blessing was upon them. And it was beginning. God's promise was beginning to be fulfilled. They were beginning to grow into a great nation just as God promised. And this reminds us of the certainty of God's word. The certainty of God's word. It was being fulfilled, the things that he said. He said he would bless them, and now here comes that blessing. That should be a great encouragement for us to trust God's word, to believe all that it says. God still blesses his people, and even more so in Christ, and we will experience his abundant spiritual blessing and temporal blessings just as he's promised. As we trust in him, as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we trust in God's word, his word is absolutely certain, rock solid. We can bank on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, then last we see this covenant between Jacob and Joseph. It has the markings of a, of a covenant. Let's read it again here, in, beginning in verse 28. We're told Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called Joseph and said to him, If I now have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Joseph said, I will do as you've said. And he said, swear it to me. And he swore to him. Jacob wants to be buried in the tomb of his fathers back in Canaan. But this wasn't just about where he wanted his, um, his burial place to be. It just wasn't a preference that he had. This was really about Jacob's trust in God and in God's word, in God's promises. This wasn't just a sentimental uh, desire to be back home, to be buried with his family members. This was a declaration of his faith in God. God had promised 
to give that land to Jacob's offspring. And so with this this odd ceremony of the hand being placed under the thigh, Jacob is saying, my son, Joseph, we need to remember God's covenant. We need to remember that this place is not our home. God promised us that land. That's where our future is. Not here in Egypt. So remember that. Swear to me that you'll bury me there. This isn't superstition or fear of death or anything like that. This is Jacob approaching his death by faith. He's near to death, but he wants to die in faith. His faith and his hope are fixed firmly on God and God's promises. And people, you and I need to be like that. We need to be like Jacob here and do what Jacob did here. And we do that by setting our hope on God and the promised land that he has provided and promised to us. Hebrews 10 says, you and I need to be looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. God has a wonderful plan that he is going to fulfill for our lives, but it is not going to be in this world. So we ought not to get too at home here. Our home is in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells and where God is going to dwell with us and we with him forever. That's what you and I need to look forward to. That's where our hope needs to be. Is that the kind of hope that you have? Or is your hope fixed on the things of this world that are passing away? That's no hope at all. God gives us many earthly blessings in this life, and those are things that we can enjoy and should do so with thanksgiving but we should not get too wrapped up in them. We should not become too fixed on those things. Instead, keep your eyes heavenward. Keep trusting in God's promises. Keep looking for the better things that he has stored up for us in the future, in heaven. And worship him in the meantime by faith. While you're here as a pilgrim in this foreign land, like Jacob at that time, he was a pilgrim in a strange land. He was blessed in that strange land, but he kept looking forward to a far better land with far better blessings. And of course, God himself is the best blessing of all. He's the greatest blessing that we will ever have. And may you look forward with strong hope to that glorious future 
that God has promised to us a future with him, with this great and glorious God and with all his people. He loves us with a steadfast love, a love that will never cease. Look forward to the day when you'll be able to enjoy his love forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good providence and and for this testimony of faith that we hear here with Jacob in the face of his coming death. We pray that you teach us to live like him, trusting in you. Cause our eyes to be fixed on um, you and on your son and, and not on the passing things of this world so that we might be thankful in this life Lord, but also that we might, more importantly, that we would long for heaven and the eternal blessings that you have for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.